Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make this switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Mr. Clarence, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Well, Blake, thanks so much for having me. We were chatting before we started recording that I could not get enough of the content that you have out there. You are just such a voice of encouragement and reality. Like you're not trying to gloss over the hard stuff, but you're giving people hope in the midst. And right now you're doing that with your book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. And in it, you share your story, your struggle, and how God has walked you through it. And I know it's going to be so impactful for the people listening. Welcome to the show. I would love to just hear a little bit of your story that led you to writing this book. Well, I, like most Americans, I was trying to be successful. I'm an entrepreneur in the Christian field. And so my ministry, my nonprofit, we do marriage, diversity, all this kind of stuff like that. And I've written a couple books on diversity and this multi-billion dollar company was really interested in what I do. And they liked the way I did it. They said, you know, your diversity training brings people together is not really divisive. So there's so many telltale signs. Um, Stephen Kendricks of the Kendrick Brothers had prayed me right before I went into the office to do my presentation. They paid me for my presentation, which they normally don't do. And we're talking life-changing money. Okay. Yeah. We're, you know, and so, and so I'm thinking I've, I've kind of got this job and 10 days later, they said, we're going a different direction. And I was just devastated because all the, the guy who my contact, I was just blown away. Yeah. And I went to this deep, dark depression. And as a man, as an African-American man, I said, you know, here I go again. Some white guys are kind of dictating my future. And it, it was frustrating. And so 
I have a bunch of people on my newsletter. My, and so I just sort of wrote in between the lines that the job, I didn't get the job, didn't say a lot about it. But Dr. Monique Gadsden, we call her Dr. Mo in the book, with her being a licensed counselor, she read between the lines and she called me and she said, do you want to talk about it? And being a male, I said, no. <laughs> I counsel other people and I said, God, why don't you counsel me? And then he just very clearly said, you need a counselor. And then he didn't respond. So I called her back and said, hey, I'm pretty raw. If the office still is on, if it's still on the table, I'll take it. So that's, so that sort of got me into it. And then as I began to come out of it, when I speak, God always has me deal with what I just came through lately. And so I'm sharing about my depression and response blew me away. I yeah. mean, people were going crazy, They're taking pictures of all the slides and I'm preaching in churches and people just flooding the altar. One guy, tech guy said, I've listened to Charles Stanley for 25 years. This is the most profound sermon I've ever heard. I don't think because I was a great preacher, even though I think I am a great preacher. But uh, I think it was the topic yeah. that really just captured everybody and be talking about it in church, I think just blew people away. So that's so that's what drove me to write about it. And then my book agent actually said, with all this response you're getting, you need to write a book on it. So yeah. I asked Dr. Mo and sort of how we got there. That's amazing. I want to go back to your frustration that white men were dictating your future, because I know where you ultimately got with that and what God kind of showed you. But that is a very individual experience. Like that's not something that I would necessarily understand. And I think is an understandable frustration. What was the process of going from that to where God brought you about that? Well, the problem was, you know, being a minority in America, you have to deal with the majority. You have to get the majority's permission to get into college, to, to do this, do this. And so even the Christian community is still white male dominated. And so they kind of say, yeah, or no, you have to kind of prove yourself. Yeah. And so it was just frustrating to, again, I've often been the first black guy in these situations for that to happen with no explanation. Yeah. Now, problem with that was I wasn't looking high enough. I was looking at white guys and I needed to look beyond them, look to guys, see what was going on. And I hate to admit this, but my problem was, or my sin was, and not every depression has to do with sin, mine did, was the whole idea of idolatry, mm -hmm. that the money was going to define me, that I'd finally become successful and really, it was about God defining me and affirming me. And so as Monique began to help me refocus or let me know that God was with me, then I was open to looking at other things. And yeah. the worst thing in the world would have happened had I gotten that job. You know, that would have been the worst. Even though the money was incredible, it would have been the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Which is a perspective, I think, a lot of people, it's only possible to have that after you don't get the job, after you don't get the opportunity. And I think a lot of people don't even ever get there. Mm. It can be really difficult to get to the place of that was grace. That was protection. This thing that I thought was what was going to be best for me actually would have been what was worst. Well, yeah. And, and part of me felt I deserved it. I'd earned right? it. I knew my craft. I could do it. And I think I could really help them. Yeah. And they, the CEO president said he liked me, you know. Right. So I didn't really understand that process. But then the idolatry piece was, I was trying to say, I finally made it. I finally valid, and it would have been validation. Right. And Jesus' death on the cross 
It's what validates me. Amen. And then, so once I understood that, then it didn't matter where I got or not. And and really, honestly, since then, I've been so incredibly busy. Everything I thought I wanted, God just thrown my way, even impossible yeah. things. And I'm thinking, I tell my wife, I say, you know, they're not going to let me speak when they realize who I am, you know, because they're not pro me or whatever. And we end up speaking. And God says, now that you realize that you're just the messenger and I'm the message, I can give this to you. Yeah. And now you realize it doesn't validate you. Now you can. So I'm speaking all over the place. And I've never been so busy in my life in the last two years. And, and it's a good busy. Yeah. And had I gotten this job, it would have killed me because I would have thought it's about me. I would have been performing as opposed to trying to minister and just be a vessel. And it's just it's been life transforming for me to experience it. Would you be having the life and like eternal impact that you're having working for a company versus getting to do what God ultimately knew was best for you? Well, it would have been a short term for the company. Oh, okay. Work for them short term. We were going to franchise some stuff and we had it all set up. So I was, yeah. you know, so it wasn't that. I mean, I haven't been the first black to work for a lot of Christian organizations. I know that's not really the best way to go. Yeah. So now I'm kind of living out my dreams, so the dreams I think he's given me. But I think allowing that to define me and say, this was my level of success, I just could, I think would have wreaked havoc in so many ways. And I think it would have been hard for me to continue to hear the voice of God in the midst of that, because I would have been my own God, so to speak. Yeah, I had a very similar experience when I started in this world of podcasting and writing. I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. And kind of ended up flat on my face, mm-hmm. tried to get a book deal, failed, all of that kind of stuff. And my big kind of realization was God being like, whose glory are you working for? Is it mine or is it yours? And <laughs> mine for sure. You know, it wasn't even so much about the money at the time I wanted. And you mentioned this, like I wanted the validation. I wanted the recognition and the attention. Right. And there's nothing wrong with knowing that you're good at what you do. Exactly. Yeah. I knew I was a good writer. You know, you're great at your craft. It's what's behind that. Well, it's the difference where I, I, I do a lot of singles com- deal and also stuff for marriage. And I think the concept we really need to embrace, at least I had to really go back and revisit is there's a difference between self-worth, which God gives us versus self-worship. Oh, yeah. And so, so if we understand the difference, we have value because God's given us this DNA. So we have value, we have purpose, we have a destiny, and that's self-worth. But I think when we get to place of self-worship, which is where I was or would have been, that's detrimental. And God yeah. was trying to keep me from that. And he's kind of said, you know, there's only one God and that's me. So, right. so I had to figure something else out. Do you think you had kind of stepped into some self-worship and then it kind of all came falling down and that's what kind of threw you into this season of depression? Yeah, well, I think... Yeah, I've always wrestled. We've always been poor or actually poor. And so it was this chance to, I, I being an entrepreneur, I sort of created my own market. And so it, it was my way of saying, I worked hard enough. I made it. I'm successful. Right. And you said this earlier, I, I may have on the surface maybe given God the credit, but deep down <laughs> inside, of, hey, I did it. I, I yeah. did this. And God was saying, no, no, you can't do this apart from me. And that's not even what I want from you. Yeah. And I need you to trust me. You know, in Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
Well, the kingdom of God means his reign and rule in our life. Yeah. And then he says, all these things will be added to you. And before the depression, I was seeking the kingdom of Clarence. Yeah. And so, and so he couldn't give me all these things because they would have sabotaged me. They would have anchored me down and it just wasn't the best for me, you know? And, And so now I'm cool. I can stay in my lane. Yeah. I mean, if you're a better author than I am, I'm not jealous. Yeah. It's just all these things that help me. So I, I just, he had to kill some things in me Amen. so he could give birth to life to other things that he wanted me to do in my life. So that was, and so I don't wish depression on anybody, but there are some definite benefits of working through depression. That is the goodness of God, right? I, the mm-hmm. depression- yes wasn't what he wanted for you. He wanted you to trust him with your future and know that he had what was best for you. But I always tell people only God can take something as debilitating and awful and detrimental as depression and use it to make us look more like him. Well, you know, the book is based on this verse, Isaiah 45, 3. And it says, as I would give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches, Mm. I would do this so you know that I'm the Lord God, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Well, a couple things about that. Now, so what that means is being in a dark place does not necessarily mean it's sinful. The other thing that's cool about it, when you're in a dark place, God's with you in that dark place. So your dark place can actually be a holy place. Oh. But then the other thing, if there are hidden treasures, secret riches in the dark place, I've got to dig and unearth those treasures or secret riches in the dark place. So I don't have to fake being fine. So I don't have to rush out of the dark place. Yeah. And then more than likely, God's going to heal me in the dark place before I come out of that dark place. Yeah. So there's so much stuff in that verse and working through that. That's phenomenal. Dr. Mo, I'm going to quote her. She says this in the book. She says, we must give depression the sacred space it demands. We could work from working from having it consume us. Depression is an opportunity to become more intimately acquainted with our mental and emotional status. It is also an opportunity to explore the experiences in life that have eaten away at our, at our vigor, vitality, and our voice in some instances. And I thought this was a really powerful quote, and that really helped me, and, and it just it took a lot of pressure off. Well, and the way that depression, anxiety, mental health in general have been framed, especially in America, is that it is a weakness. It's something to be like, fix it, put a bandaid on it, move on past it. You're fine. And this concept that God can use it and that it can be a holy place Mm -hmm. that requires a serious shift in, in your mentality Mm -hmm. and how you view mental health. And I think that's exemplified in that. You said no to counseling. You're like, no, I don't need, I I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need it. Well, yeah, I'm a man. And and the way right. we're socialized, we don't we don't share our emotions. We share we're socialized not to share our emotions. Then you go into the pastorate where we're no one will say this, but we're supposed to be Superman. Yeah. Or, or superwoman. And so I don't need anybody to help me. You know, if I'm really walking with God, he can just do it directly. I don't need anybody's help. But he was showing me there are things in my life that I can't see that he's not going to do for me. Yeah. It's just, it's like getting married. You know, when God, we get married, God puts in our spouse, he indirectly is going to love us through our spouse in a way he's not going to do directly. And it's, it's really fascinating. And so Dr. Mo being so gifted, 
she helped me hear and see things and articulate things that I would never seen on my own. And then the thing about depression, and you've alluded to this, it's not like it's one shop and it's over. Even on the <laughs> back wish. of the book, yeah, it, it, even on the back of the book, that the publisher wanted to put lessons I've learned. And I say, no, God, let's change it. So we put, I'm learning to manage my depression more effectively. Yeah. So it's own deal. So I think that's really important for people who are working through depression, anxiety, or loneliness to know it's a process. Absolutely. I literally was voice messaging with a girlfriend yesterday who's, she's been struggling. The de- she struggles with depression and it's kind of had her down. And she was saying, I feel better today. And I'm just hoping it's not a fluke. Mm. And I was like, okay, wait, you got to change that mindset because you feel better today. And that's awesome. And revel in that. But like, it's okay if you don't feel great tomorrow. Yes. Healing isn't linear. It's not going to be this straight line from I'm depressed to I'm better. And that mentality is exactly what you're saying of this isn't what I've learned. This isn't I've got depression on lock. Like I've figured it out. I have, I have (laughs) defeated depression. It's I'm learning how to manage because this is going to be a part of my reality. And that can be difficult to accept, to say this could happen again, but now I have better tools to walk through it. Well, yeah. And it actually did. Something came up. I worked for this Christian organization and I had this great article in in the Sunday paper and and I thought all of a sudden, this organization is going to come after me. And I had PTSD. And so for a day and a half, I'm just like, I'm freaking out. And then the Holy Spirit brought back to mind Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Like to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication to give my request to God. Which And then he would give me the peace that would guard my heart, you know, mind in Christ Jesus. And so I said, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I said, okay, God, I need, I need that peace that doesn't make sense. And then he brought up First uh, John four eighteen that perfect love cast out fear. And I thought, well, I haven't done anything wrong, so I shouldn't be fearful of something that hasn't happened that might happen. And then, you know, how should I respond? And he just kind of said, well, don't respond. If they respond, you don't respond. Yeah. And so I didn't realize I'd been wounded, but having gone through it before, I slowed down. I freaked out for a little bit, but then the Holy Spirit started bringing scripture. And I, I just kind of just, and then I relaxed. And nothing happened that I know of. Yeah. And if it did, it's no big deal. Right? Like that is sanctification. It is. It's, and I've been having to tell myself that as well lately of, for me, I have these moments. <laughs> I can't believe we're going to admit this out loud, but I have these moments where people who have hurt me in the past, like something good happens to me. And I'm like, see, I won. I won. Yeah. And that is pride. That is top to bottom. <laughs> Pride. And I had one of those moments the other day and immediately was like, Blake, come on. Like, you're better than that. Life isn't something that is one. And I started to beat myself up that I had even had the thought and then had to kind of like, Holy Spirit, center myself and go, but you caught it and you didn't let it run rampant through your life and turn into like fester into pride. And it's the same thing with mental health and anxiety and depression those stints start to get shorter and you start to navigate them a little bit less wobbly. And that doesn't mean like the fact that you have to navigate, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. Exactly. And so we encourage people one to give themselves grace. Yes. 
a lot of times we tend, like you say, we tend to beat ourselves up and we have to let that go. And we beat ourselves up because we think, oh, I'm not good enough or I failed again. And so I just have to, you know, and so sometimes with God, I say, hey, can I have a do over? (laughs) Yeah. And I just kind of give myself grace. And that's really important. And and in the whole idea with self-worth versus self-worship, we need to like ourselves. You know, God loves us. We need to learn to like ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's not super pride because you really, if we don't like ourselves, why should we expect anybody else to like us? And how do you pour out and love other people when you don't even like yourself? And if you don't like yourself, you send off a vibe. And so people who might want to come to you become unapproachable because they, they don't know what's wrong, but they say, well, something's not quite right here. And they just, they don't come to us. And when we have appreciation for God, and love him and love ourselves because he's made us, not worship ourselves, then we become attracted to other people. And that's when we can minister to people yeah. and really be transparent and authentic in our relationship. Did you find in your experience there was a connection between that as well? Like, did you not like yourself and that impacted your seasons of depression? Well, it's weird. I've always liked myself. Yeah, to an extent, but but there, but there are times when I felt like, well, all my life, I, you know, I'm short. Same. And so I always felt like I had to prove myself. Like on the basketball court, I grew up in North Carolina. Well, in North Carolina, you have basketball, tobacco, and Baptist. You're pretty much in that order. And so I was five one when I made the high school basketball team. Yeah. And so it's always had to be twice as good or three times as good. And so so you always, but I was using basketball as a validation. And in my culture, a lot of times basketball is like a, a sign of manhood as a pastor. Yeah. So it's a lot of things going on. So, and I've looked, I've always tried to be the best, but try to be the best sometimes for the wrong reason. Yeah. So the, this job where I didn't get or this contract was one of those things, again, we're pr- trying to get this validation. So that's, yeah. so, so I've had those struggles pretty much all my life. Yeah. Yeah. See my connection with mental health for, I'm 34 and this has been a huge corner turn for me in the last year or so has been, I really didn't like myself. I grew up in very legalistic mm. Christian Bible belt with the whole, you know, yes, you're supposed to deny yourself and pick up your cross, but it was like, life is one of suffering and you're sinful and all of that kind of stuff. And getting out of that theology and into one that God doesn't just love you. He likes you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He enjoys you. Yes, there is going to be suffering, but that isn't your bounty in life. Yeah. Has changed my experience with mental health so much. And it's not, again, and you said this earlier, it's not that mental health is a sign of sin. It's not always something that you bring upon yourself. But I can definitely look back and see the parts of it that I brought upon myself because of that warped thinking that God doesn't like me. Nobody likes me. I don't even like myself. Well, yeah, that's kind Mm -hmm. of a recipe for depression. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and the whole thing is, is I was listening to you talk, what you said is really important because so many churches keep saying that you're sinners, you're sinners, you're sinners. Well, when you read the New Testament, it says to the saints, it says yeah. to the saints, it says to the holy ones. And so, you know, sinners have no choice but to sin, but saints are believers who can sin, but don't always have to sin. That's not, that's not my nature anymore because it's a new nature. So when I think I'm a saint, I'm a child of, of the Lord, 
I can sin, but that's not my nature now. Yeah. That changed that changed my perspective. So we have to really change that. And then with suffering, as I've studied the scriptures, suffering for a lot of times can be the consequence of our sin, but more so when believers suffer, it's a first foundation for a spiritual promotion. Yes. And so it's, so that's what God does. So when you begin to understand that, you say, oh, okay. And it just changes your perspective when you understand that. 100%. It makes such an impact. So when you were writing this book, I want to talk about the book a little bit. Was it challenging for you? Like if you think back when you first started this, then it was, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go to counseling. And then God's like, hey, you should write a book about it. Well, my book agent, just from response of crowds, I'm speaking, he said, you need to write a book about it. And I kind of blew him off for about a year. Because I, I said, I've got a sermon. I've got a 45-minute sermon about this. I said, I don't have a book. And so I blew him off. But at the end of the year, God kind of came back and started talking about stuff. And I felt, well, maybe I do have some things I could start writing. So he started giving me some ideas. And then I called Monique and said, hey, look, I'm writing this book. And my book agent said, you need a licensed counselor to write this thing with you just for legal reasons. Yeah. And since since she's the one who helped me, and so she was really excited to write. And so um, it became a very transparent book where basically what God did is just have me share my mess. And Monique would kind of say, this is why he's so crazy. And then uh, we'd have questions at the end of the chapter that if people wanted to go through it, they could do a self-evaluation. Is any of this stuff applying to me? Yeah. But because we knew people were all over the place. We even took the pressure off that. Say, hey, look, don't feel like you have to answer all the questions, maybe one or two and just yeah. see what that, you know, don't feel like you got to do all of them. Don't, don't put more stress on yourself. So we began to walk through all these different things that for the most part I struggled with. And then she would write from a clinical perspective. And that's kind of what we did. So it's, yeah. it's the most transparent book I've ever written. I bet. It's that not all my flaws. It's probably got 95 of them, <laughs> 95%. <laughs> Well, and that's, that is really difficult. When I was writing my book, I was like, I am bleeding out on the pages, yeah, yeah. but it offers so much solidarity to people. There's so much power in stories. Well, you know, there's a guy uh, in my club, I, I go belong to a tennis club and a fitness club. And there was a guy, a former soldier, young guy to me in his late twenties, early thirties. And he's reading the book. I actually gave him PDF for the book before it came out just because I'd heard his story. And he told me a week ago, he said, you know, I, I had a bullet in the chamber of my gun and he's married. He's got at least one child and he was about to take himself out. And he said, his wife caught him and said, what are you doing? And so he stopped. He said, but Clarence, he said, your book is so helpful because you're so transparent. He said, I can relate to almost everything you're saying in the book. And it was just, and then the manager of the club was behind me. And so all these people, most are not believers, uh, hearing this thing it, it, and the locker room got quiet and it was just really a powerful moment. Whatever you wrote that's transparent, you're going to bless so many people more you can realize because that blood on the page is really probably Christ's blood on the page Ooh. and it's going to have eternal dividends. Amen. Amen. And that's, I love you. You're like, this is messy and it's vulnerable and it's why he's crazy, but that's what people see themselves in. They don't see, it's so impossible to see yourself in the cleaned up versions of people's stories. Yeah. It's harder to share the real thing. It is. It is. It is. And, That's um, awesome. you know, yeah. And so I, I just, 
And someone said, why are you, why are you so transparent? I said, well, I think because people all over the place, and I think really one of my, it's not a spiritual gift, but I think part of my ministry is being transparent. Yeah. And I just think if I share my mess, someone's going to say, hey, I've been there too. And they can relate to that. And it's going to help that one person say, okay, I'm not really crazy because he's had that same experience. Yeah. And then I was really blown away by Monique and by one of my friends who's a Hollywood writer. And they're both African-American women. They say it's so important for you as a man to say this because so yes. many men don't share their stuff. And a lot of Black men, a lot of men have hypertension and heart attacks because they keep everything inside. They don't share it. Yep. And their lives are shorter. So they said, you know, maybe if you're talking about as a Black male and we're the number one group in America, the highest rated group with depression, maybe it'll help somebody else. Maybe they'll listen to their wives and, and or at least be able to have a conversation with their wives which will actually be therapeutic because they're getting it out. That's amazing. Tell people where they can connect with you, connect with you online. I know they can get your book wherever they get books. Well, they can, uh, you know, go to Amazon, whatever, get the book. But for me, it's just my website. This is Clarence Schuler. It's not Clarence. It's ClarenceShuler.com. My last name is S-H-U-L-E-R. There's no C in my last name. We can put a C in there. So it's just ClarenceShuler.com. And they can see, in fact, they go there, a bunch of free videos on relationships, but they can also go to a bookstore if you want to get the book, and they can email me from the website. So, Clarence, thank you so much. Well, Blake, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I think we're kindred spirits here. I do, too. I do, too. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.